This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. This is episode 156, entitled, Why You Should Worship the Lamb, Revelation chapter 5. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Hopefully you saw that I launched a YouTube channel to accompany the weekly audio podcast. The videos on this YouTube channel are going to be short, they're going to be very easy to watch, and they are specifically intended so that you can share these vital truths with your friends, family members, and fellow truth seekers. I encourage you to subscribe to the YouTube channel, and please look forward to its content, which I hope to produce weekly. Last week, we began looking at the call and response hymns in the book of Revelation in order to see what they had to say about the worship practices of the early Christians. The book of Revelation actually has seven hymns. No surprise there. No surprise there. And this episode will focus on the worship of Jesus, where Jesus himself is the object of singing and praise. In this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, we will explore the call and response hymn in Revelation chapter 5, where Jesus is unambiguously worshipped. Now, many biblical Unitarians are uneasy about offering worship to Jesus, thinking that only God the Father is worthy of worship. Others think that different levels of worship should be given to God and to Jesus in order to clearly distinguish God from his Son. In this week's hymn, we will explore why Jesus is worthy of your worship, and we will seek to understand how the book of Revelation invites its readers to participate in the worship of Jesus. Will we discover that the hymn sung to Jesus proves that Jesus just is God? Or is it possible to worship a highly exalted human being who has demonstrated his worthiness to God. Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the second hymn of Revelation. We'll be in Revelation chapter 5, and I'm going to read the hymn, which is in verses 9 through 12. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, For you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. Now, as we can see in this hymn, this is a call and response hymn. Now, the subject of the verb sing in verse 8 where it says, they sing a new song. The subject of this verb is actually the 24 elders and the four living creatures. You can see that actually in verse 8. The 24 elders and the four living creatures are singing this particular song. Now, it's interesting that while the first call and response hymn that we saw in last week's episode, located in Revelation chapter 4, had the call come from the attendants in heaven and the response come from the 24 elders, here we actually have the call, the initiation of the worship come from a group that includes the 24 elders. You have to remember that the 24 elders are a representation of the faithful people of God acting as priests. And so this is the ideal reader's of Revelation functioning as the 24 elders, and they are initiating this worship. They are not responding in worship. They are initiating this worship by acknowledging the worthiness of the Lamb. And it's important to see that the 24 elders who represent believers are the ones that are initiating this worship because too often readers of Revelation read this passage as if they are just merely spectators of what is actually happening on the page. They aren't reading this looking to be participants. But the book of Revelation, by depicting the 24 elders as a representation of faithful believers, invites readers of Revelation to participate in whatever the 24 elders are doing. I think that is significantly important. Now, that's the call portion of the hymn. The hymn that was begun by a group of singers consisting in part of the people of God is responded to by thousands and thousands of angels. So we can see that heaven responds with their own worshiping chorale to the worship that's been initiated by the people of God. There's a sense of heavenly approval of the contents of the worship offered by the people of God that they sing to the Lamb. You can see here in the response portion of the call and response hymn that thousands of angels acknowledge the worthiness of the Lamb to receive seven things in total. Power, wealth, might, wisdom, honor, glory, and blessing. It's very interesting. So we have seven traits, seven qualities, seven highly valued accolades which the Lamb is worthy to receive. Now you might look at these things and you might think, well, these are just common things that are attributed to God, but that's not actually the case. One of these in particular, the word wealth, which is just another way of talking about riches or money, is actually never offered to God 
anywhere in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. However, riches, wealth, and money are common things that are offered to human kings. In other words, the worship that is given to the Lamb here in this particular hymn is consistent with what we would expect a highly exalted human king to receive. But it's not actually the type of worship that you would give to the Lord God. I think that's a very important point that is often missed in readings of Revelation chapter 5. Riches, wealth, and money are never offered to God, but they are consistently offered to human kings. Let's move on to our second point, which is the role of the readers in the call and response hymn. Now within this hymn, we can discern a number of key points regarding the ideal worship that is to be performed by the readers of the book of Revelation. It is clear with this hymn that it is a new song, and it is sung directly to Jesus, who is described as the Lamb. Within this hymn, Jesus is acknowledged for his worthiness, particularly his worthiness as the agent of God's redemptive purposes. How do we know this? Because the drama of chapter 5 is that God has this scroll, usually translated as a book, and no one can be found that is worthy to take this scroll and to open it. Certainly if a scroll comes from God, then it unveils the plans and purposes of God. And so we eventually find, after a period of silence and after much crying from John, that one is worthy to interpret and unveil the scroll and its contents. And that person is none other than Jesus. Now, worshipers of the Lamb include within their hymn the reason why Jesus is worthy. So I'm just drawing this directly out of the hymn and the things that are said. Jesus is worthy to take this scroll and to open it and to break its seals, specifically because, number one, he was slaughtered. Your translation might say slain, but it's a stronger word than just killed. It's a word for slaughtered. And you can hear the Passover overtones that are there because he is the lamb that is slaughtered. Number two, he purchased actively, Jesus purchased with his blood persons for God. So Jesus purchased for God persons with his blood. I think it's interesting to note that this hymn that is sung to Jesus very clearly distinguishes God and Jesus. It does not collapse God and Jesus into a single being. The third reason for his worthiness is the scope of his redemption. Jesus redeems people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. That massive scope is certainly reason for why he is worthy. Fourth, Jesus has made these redeemed persons into a kingdom, which is chapter 5, verse 10. 
Jesus already made these people into a kingdom or a counter-empire. They have been drawn away from the Roman Empire, and they now constitute the new empire, the new kingdom. This is important for Christian theology because it balances the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Here, Christians who are redeemed are already made into a kingdom. Number five, Jesus has made these redeemed persons into priests to our God. Now you'll recall that the 24 elders draw upon the representation of the 24 priests that work in the temple. And so the redeemed people are redeemed and they now constitute a new priesthood. So which further indicates that the 24 priestly elders are these redeemed priests. And we can see here, again, the clear distinction between Jesus and our God. They are not confused. Jesus is distinct, not just from God, but from our God. And number six, these redeemed persons will reign upon the earth. That is the future element of the kingdom. They're already a kingdom, but yet they will reign and rule on the earth. And I think it's interesting that in this list of qualifying reasons for why Jesus is worthy, there is no talk at all about Jesus being worthy because he is God, or perhaps that he is divine, or that he is of the same substance of the Father. None of those are given as reasons for Jesus' worthiness. Jesus is worthy because he died, because his blood is redemptive, because Jesus has rescued people. He has reorganized people into a new kingdom, into a new priesthood. It's very interesting. So when readers of Revelation are looking at this passage and they're thinking, why should I be giving worship to Jesus we need to look very carefully at the reasons that the hymn gives to why Jesus is worthy. And I think those are highly significant. Let's move on to our third and final point, which is the implications for worship within a monotheistic setting. That is our third point. What are the implications for giving worship to Jesus within a monotheistic setting? Well, we need to look at who Jesus is, or specifically how the Lamb is described within this passage. And to do that, we have to look a little bit earlier on the passage in verses 5 through 6. So I'm going to read Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. That's Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. So before the worship hymn is given and before all of these reasons are sung, Regarding the worthiness of Jesus, Jesus is introduced with a lot of Christological images and metaphors. So we have to talk about the person of Jesus. We have to talk about Christology. 
the object of this worship hymn is clearly defined within this passage. We first note that Jesus is described with an animal that is not the lamb. It is actually a lion. And a lion is a powerful warrior image. The lion from the tribe of Judah is drawing from the imagery from Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10, to where a lineal human descendant that will come from Judah is promised to rule. It will be a royal figure that descends from Judah. He is also called the Root of David, which is the offspring of David, actually the shoot of David, which is the way that the Greek noun Riza should be translated based on our lexicons. And this is drawing from Isaiah chapter 11, where the shoot of David is going to be a human descendant from David who is also going to rule as king. It's very interesting here. By referring to Jesus with these particular passages, the Christology of chapter 5 is highlighting the very important fact that Jesus is a human being, a member of the human race. He is going to be a powerful royal figure, a kingly figure, but he is going to be a human being. He descends from Judah, and he descends from David. This object of worship is clearly not God. He is not an angel. He is not a divine being. He is not an archangel. He is a human being. However, that's not the only thing that this passage says. He hears about this powerful lion, but John looks and he sees a different animal. Revelation interprets the powerful conquering lion with the image of a weak lamb. And this weak lamb has all of the imagery of the lamb that is redemptive, the lamb that rescues, and the lamb that brings about salvation. So just as the Passover lamb helped rescue the people of God from the grips of the evil king Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, the Passover lamb of God redeems people from the dominion of the satanic dragon. There's also an interesting image here that, gosh, I wonder what this looked like originally to John. It says that this lamb was standing as if slain, literally standing as if slaughtered. And I'm wondering, like, what in the world does that look like? Is he standing up or is he dead? Which one is it? And Revelation is giving both of these images, and it's combining the two, and it's saying you need to be thinking about both of them at the same time. We need to be acknowledging the standing aspect of one who has been raised from the dead, who stands on his own two feet, and has been highly exalted from the state of having been slaughtered, but also the images and the echoes and the metaphors of one who has been slaughtered continue to need to be maintained. When you look at the lamb, you need to look at someone who has been slaughtered, but also someone who has been raised. Oftentimes, Christians will think of Jesus as the one who has been raised from the dead, as the way that we think about him now, and we think of the fact that Jesus has died as something that happened in the past. Revelation actually wants you to hold both of those images together. Jesus as the lamb is standing as if slain. It wants you to balance both of those images together as powerful symbols 
that bring about the definition of who Jesus is. Now it's also interesting that after Jesus is described as standing, he is portrayed as possessing seven horns and seven eyes. Now seven is the number of completeness, and a horn is a symbol of power. So to demonstrate that this lamb has seven horns, which is clearly not a literal image, it would be evoking the metaphor of one who has the fullness of power. By saying that he has seven eyes, which again, not a literal image, this would evoke the imagery of one who has the fullness of wisdom. Now, both of these attributes, seven horns and seven eyes, show up after the indication that the powerful lion has died as a lamb and has stood back up again in resurrection. In other words, these are both post-resurrection attributes. They come after Jesus' resurrection and exaltation. These are not attributes that are given to the lion before he dies. In other words, these are not divine attributes that he had that he gave up in order for him to die. These are attributes that are given to Jesus after he has died, been raised, and has been exalted. God has shared with Jesus and highly authorized Jesus and empowered Jesus after his resurrection and exaltation. That's a very, very important point for understanding the high Christology of the book of Revelation. Jesus is at his highest status after his exaltation, not before. Now, the hymn given to the Lamb never confuses God and Jesus. And that's pretty important for those that are concerned with how they can faithfully participate in New Covenant worship while understanding that there is only one God who is the Father alone. The Lamb and God are consistently distinguished within this hymn. The hymn is directed to a human king who has died, who has been raised, and has subsequently been highly exalted by God. Now, the hymn does not compel people or force people to sing this song to Jesus. It is interesting that the people of God, portrayed with the imagery of the 24 elders, are voluntarily singing this in honor of Jesus' worthiness. And as a little footnote, we should point out that the Holy Spirit is completely absent from this hymn. The Spirit is not mentioned, and of course the Spirit is not the object of any sort of worship. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the book of Revelation places heavy stress on worship and its importance within the lives of faithful believers. Among the seven hymns contained within the book of Revelation, the hymn in chapter 5 is unambiguously sung to Jesus, the Lamb. We first noted that the ideal readers of the book of Revelation are the ones who initiated the hymn sung to Jesus. This suggests 
that the passage intended to persuade readers to join in this manner of worship rather than simply read about it. While the believing people of God sing the call portion of the call and response hymn that describes the worthiness of the Lamb, the angels of heaven respond with an approval of that worthiness. In doing so, the angels sing about seven things of which the Lamb is worthy. And this list of seven is consistent with what we would expect of a highly authorized human king. Second, we observe that the contents of the hymn sung to Jesus detail why he is worthy. We saw that Jesus is worthy because he acted as a slaughtered lamb in his death. He used his blood to purchase people for God. His scope of those who purchased come from all tribes, languages, races, and peoples. He has already made these redeemed persons into a kingdom. He has initiated them into a godly priesthood. And he has put them on a path of reigning on the earth in the future. Within this hymn, Jesus is not described as being God, being divine, or being consubstantial with the Father. His worthiness is predicated on being distinct from God, along with having an attribute that God does not have, namely mortality. Lastly, we looked at why Christians should sing this worship hymn to Jesus while remaining strict monotheist. The hymn to the Lamb is sung after the Lamb is thoroughly described. The object of worship is a lineal human descendant from Judah and from King David. This means that Jesus is a bona fide member of the human race, rather than an angel or even God himself. The powerful royal overtones of Jesus are further defined as one who conquered by dying and rising. Of noteworthy significance is that the seven horns and seven eyes are attributed to the Lamb after his resurrection and exaltation, not before. Throughout the hymn to Jesus, the Lamb and God are carefully distinguished, and the two are never collapsed into a single being or person. So why should biblical Unitarians worship Jesus? Answer, the Bible depicts faithful people of God voluntarily initiating worship to Jesus, singing to him a new song about how worthy he is. In other words, it is biblical to worship Jesus in the manner that is spelled out in Revelation chapter 5. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Join us next week as we continue to explore the worship hymns within the book of Revelation, looking at the call and response hymn in chapter 7, where worship is given to both God and to Jesus.
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support the podcast for free by sharing your favorite episodes and writing an honest review on iTunes. If you feel led to donate to the podcast, you may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Special consideration given to Dustin Williams for his editing and post-production of the Biblical Unitarian podcast each week. Thank you, Mr. Williams, for your expertise and faithful service. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.